Well, hello, hello, Dave. This is Dave Carinelli. Very super happy, excited to be talking with you today, Dave. Um, thanks for joining us on Talkie Conflict. My pleasure. I'm excited to be here. I've had a lot of fun here. So um, let's get right into it. We, you know, you and I recently worked on your audio adventure reunion. Would love to hear like your beginnings. Where did you start out? Like, how did you start getting into writing? Well, it was way back in college, and uh, there's a couple decades back, but um, I knew I wanted to be a writer. It was something that uh, I loved reading books as a child. Hardy Brothers and Tom Swift and Nancy Drew, as a little boy, I loved to go to the library and just pick up more books each week. I'd always get as many as I possibly could, and I just loved, you know, the English language. I loved describing things and reading about things, so in, in school, I had an English major for a while, and then I switched to an English minor, went into TV production as a major. I got out of school and went into TV production, and it really took up all my time for a long time. And I kind of got away from the writing. But then um, a couple times, I, I picked up a script and started writing one. And the thing that kept occurring to me, I'd be working on these bad TV movies, and I'd think, oh, I could write something better than that, you know? I'd, I'd be looking at this page I'm supposed to help bring to life, and I'd think, I should be bringing my own pages to life, not these kind of dried-out stuff I'm working on. And um, that got me back, and I kept going back and writing stuff, and um, finally that translated into signing up at UCLA in 2016 for the uh, professional program, professional program for TV writing. And uh, signed up for that, met a bunch of great people, and did some really fun projects. And in fact, it was there that um, Hell Off Earth, which became Reunion, Reunion's a, a, a short story that's kind of a, a piece out of Hell Off Earth. Hell Off Earth was written as a TV pilot for a science fiction show. Tell okay. me about Hell Off Earth. Just you okay, entered well, into a, a contest, right? Just so we're talking about twenty. We're in twenty twenty now, and you submitted this to um, a competition, right? Yeah, the Austin Film Festival this past year, and it made it all the way to the second round. Um, and I got a nice letter and an invite. Um, so Hell Off Earth was was started when I was at UCLA, and it actually was influenced by a video game I've been playing called uh, Dead Space, where these monsters came and had sharpened sword arms. And, um, and I thought, you know, that's never really been done in a TV show or movie quite like that. And, and I was also really interested in the, in the concept of, of diseases and, and this thing spreading in a colony through the air system. And, uh, and that became oddly prophetic. How did you choose where you were going to submit uh, Hell Off Earth? and the like going through that process because there's so many uh options out there uh you know to submit your stuff to like how do you vet um what's you know what's worth doing what's not and that kind of stuff well to some extent it's influenced from facebook you know um so one of the amazing things that comes out of going to ucla was so i met there were six seven eight people i mean a couple dropped out um in our intensive writing group, but then once a week we met as this larger group of, of 60, 70 people, and then frequently after that we'd go out and have a beer somewhere in Westwood. And so I made these friends, and then I put them on Facebook, and then you become friends with their friends. So now I have 
several hundred writers uh, amongst my Facebook friends, most of whom I've never met, but I follow them. And I just see which contests they frequently come up with. And yes, there are people in the you know lower South Dakota Alliance Guild screenwriting contest. And you think, you know what, that doesn't sound like the one I want to be in. Um, and you start noticing, and, and you know, we talked about it in class, but the, the Austin Film Festival is definitely one of the most highly regarded. And to get even into the, the second round is, is quite an accomplishment. Amazing. I, well, <laughs> Congratulations. I, on, on, you've gone so far. Well, I, I want to keep going, you know, and I, I have faith in that particular story, Hell Off Earth. Um, it's actually placed in a couple contests over the last two years or so. It's also been in the, the Cine Story contest. Uh, it made it to either semi-finalist or finalist last year. And so it comes out and I do a little polish up and and you're right, there are a lot of contests and I've kind of just honed in on um, Cine Story and the Austin Film Festival. Uh, and I've been meaning to branch out to some other contests. I mean, they cost money to enter. So you have to kind of draw the line someplace. So you know, if it's 60 bucks a script and you put three in, wow, that's $200 and it's mm -hmm. gone. And at most you're going to get, you know, if everything comes together, you're going to get $5,000 or you're going to get uh, some big meeting with somebody important. And, um, but that's like one in 10,000 or 20,000 odds. So you can't bank on that. So you have to realize it's, it's an investment. You're going to invest in some things and you want to invest in good things. Um, so I pick Austin and then Cinestory I'd read, um, their contest that the, the finalists and some of the semifinalists get invited up to this big shindig. It's a writer's retreat uh, over a long weekend, like three or four days uh, in Idlewild on the top of this mountain. And you just go to writing seminars and, and meet with other writers. And then one of the big advantages of that contest is uh, you get to pick three, three scripts or one script three times, but three important people, directors, writers, producers, agents, will read your script and sit down for 90 minutes with you and give you their notes on it. Oh, wow. And it's an incredible experience. And I remember the first time I went, it was, it was daunting. And you can tell these people took it seriously. Um, the notes were always exquisite. They were down to the page. Okay, on page 38, I know you have this happening. I think you should do this. So you get these incredible notes and you get this feedback. And what you're hoping is that one of them is going to say, hey, here's my email address. Send me your updates. And on, I'd say each, I've been there like four times and each time uh, at least one person has done that and we've had a chitter chatter. And so now some of my Facebook friends are these director, writer, producer types that, um, that have read my stuff before. I certainly did uh, update Hell Off Earth to include a reference to COVID because I've just had this, I mean, I'm in LA and we have become the poster city for way too many COVID people. Like, I think I read that one in a thousand people here has now died of, of uh, COVID, one out of a thousand. And when you see the population density here, it's pretty easy to imagine that between me and that building over there is a thousand people. So one of those people died uh, in the last year from COVID. And that's, that's pretty scary. And then I combined that with how LA's weather worked. LA stays warm when it shouldn't be um, because the air just sits here. It sits for days and days, and you can tell when it's warm out, the smog gets really bad because the air's just sitting here. It gets stuck on the mountains, and it just doesn't blow over into the valley and into Pasadena. It just stays here. 
So I envisioned that the COVID was just building up, building up, building up, and this event had occurred. So hell off earth, reunion, they're set in the distant future. And they are referencing this horrible thing that happened in Los Angeles in 2020 or 2021, when the concentration of COVID here, with the air never going over the hills, the concentration just kept building and building, and all of a sudden, everyone got infected at once, within a few days, and this mass casualty event occurred. And I think it's a realistic, it, you know, it brings chills to me when I think about it, um, because right now it is, you know, I'm living in the city that has one of the worst records in the world for it, and it's all over out there, and people don't go places. They just reopened restaurants, which is nice for outdoor dining. But um, up until last week, you had to get your food to go and run out. And, you know, there's hand sanitizer everywhere you look. And, wow, I just got really off track, didn't fine. I? You're fine. It, I mean, it's, this is, it's a life-changing uh, situation, and it's not... You know, people were kind of celebrating the new year with, you know, yay, that hell of a year is over with. But the reality is that with the number of doses that have been purchased and our population numbers, like you and I in our age group, we're probably not going to get an option to be vaccinated until, you know, next year. Um, it's just production and doses and numbers and it's, it's going to be a young, while. Huh? We're too young. We should be happy, right? You know, it's difficult. It's it's just difficult. Um, and uh, and I don't know about you. I, I haven't seen any clear plans about how future distribution will go. But um, but yeah, your writing is uh, is on is on point. I think with the current events. Um, you know, as as sad as they are. Um, so I I'll, I'm going to shift the conversation a little bit um, to. Um, uh, you know, you started talking about Team Story and Foundation, and your recent um, submission was Niagara Falls. Uh, can you tell me a little bit about that story and how that one came out? Okay, that story is very interesting because it involves um, my dad's father, who was a mob boss. He ran a union in uh, Buffalo, New York, Niagara Falls area. He was the business agent for 35 years. And so my family was mobbed up. Um, and my father has written down uh, the beginnings of a novel. And he'll send them to me, and, and we bounce ideas back and forth. And so I thought, you know what? Um, and when I was writing this, it was right about when um, Sopranos had ended, and then um, Boardwalk Empire had ended. And I was looking at, wow, the, the mob stuff has all come to an end, and maybe it's time for another one. And I can write a story that has basis in fact and truth, you know. Um, and I went and did a bunch of research, and I, I have a photograph of my father at his confirmation. So my father's godfather at his confirmation was a godfather. Like, I can find a, this picture, my dad, little 15-year-old boy in his Catholic outfit, and, and the guy standing next to him, is in another newspaper clipping say that says FBI says this guy's running the mob in Florida. So my dad's side of the family was was involved in the mafia. My my grandfather ran the same union for 35 years. He was never run against after his first term. Nobody dared. Um, and wow. as a child, I would go ride around. He would get a new Lincoln Town Car every year or two 
uh, the union would provide this car for him. And we'd go drive around Niagara Falls, and we'd pull up to a curb, and, and the newspaper guy would run out with the paper and be like, oh, here, Mr. Pirano, here, here, here. And my grandfather would hold out some chain. Oh, no, 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 for you, not, never. And then we'd go to these restaurants, and we would get a, a dining room that wasn't even open. They would escort us to the back, and there'd be like three or four men, old Italian guys. They're all smoking like chimneys. And we'd go sit with uh, my grandfather and these men, and they'd have some sort of meeting. Uh, we'd have pancakes and hot cocoa. And as kids, this was a load of fun. We had a whole dining room to ourselves. We could run around the tables. Nobody stopped us. And I wondered why all these people were so nice to my grandfather, like just giving him whole rooms to hang out in. And um, it wasn't until I was much older that I found out what was going on. So anyhow, this became the basis of Niagara Fell. And uh, the fascinating thing, you know, his past, um, his father had died at a young age. Uh, he'd worked in a coal mine and was supporting the whole family. And all of a sudden, he got black lung and he was gone. And his wife could either give up the kids or do something illegal. And so she became um, involved in prohibition. She was um, making grappa and selling it. And mm -hmm. then as my grandfather grew up, he had this as an example. And um, as time went on, he was a painter. And then all of a sudden, he was running the painter's union. And so that story, um, Niagara Fell, is, is based largely on truth. But then obviously, you know, I don't know all the little moments that happened. So mm -hmm. I thought some up. So the, the, the pilot episode is kind of his initiation into that world. He, uh, and this is supposed to be a true story that my father told me. Uh, he was at a bar when um, a shootout happened. And he protected the, the mob boss of the area, um, Stefano Magadino. He protected this guy, helped get him through this particular shootout, and from that point on, he was in mm -hmm. until the day he died. He he ran the union until the day he died, and um, and I'll always remember that uh, when he died, we we went up there to New York to Buffalo, and um, restaurants were sending over trays of food, and all these people came by and were paying their respects, and you know the guy ran a union. What was the big deal? But. Um, Anyhow, it, it's a story I had a great deal of fun writing. Some of it's based on things my father had written down for me. And to this day, he and I are still bouncing manuscript ideas. Um, my dad still has a dream. He wants to finish this, um, you know, a novel uh, of the same story. And um, so I, I keep, you know, brushing it off, giving it a tune-up, and entering it in contests again. And, and I was really pleased... Uh, this past session, it made it all the way to semifinals at Cinestory, and more than likely, I'm going to get invited to the um, retreat again this year. Um, now, sadly, it's going to be a virtual retreat instead of the usual, everybody goes to the top of the mountain. Mm -hmm. uh, my friend Kelly Strathmore, who you met uh, at the book launch, she won the contest last year. She won the whole contest. Like, oh, like wow. There's... There's like four or five divisions, you know, like comedy, half hour, TV comedy, I'm sorry, children's comedy, there's sci-fi, and then there's drama. And so there's a, a winner of each grouping, and then the overall winner of the whole contest, and Kelly won the whole contest last year. But sadly, uh, right before it happened, they because of COVID, they, they turned it into a virtual thing. So instead of uh, hanging out with these big shots and, and movers and shakers in this little resort town... Uh, it was just all via, you know, Skype calls and Zoom and whatnot. Um, 
So how do you think that, that those networking opportunities sound pretty, um, they sound pretty important um, to help move your own writing careers along? Like, um, how do you think uh, this last year, these virtual meetings and opportunities, do you think these connections will be just as strong? I would love to think that because I'm about to face <laughs> actually doing it. Um, I, you know, there, there's pluses and minuses to meeting people in person. And there were definitely some awkward moments. And I, I you know, will say that they, there's wine aplenty at dinner at that place. And so they try to get people kind of loosened up. And then there's this late night pool game that they play that I won't mention the name of because it's obscene. Um, and so you really there get a chance to bond with these people and um, figure out if you like them or not, and they can figure out if they like you. And those three 90-minute meetings, I, I can't emphasize enough how wonderful they are. When you sit down, frequently it's either over a cup of coffee, a glass of wine, um, you sit down with this person and, and get to know them a little bit, and they get to know you. And it's also practice for when you get the real meeting where someone is thinking about buying your script. Um, because it is very daunting to sit down with this person and look at them and realize, wow, they could send off an email and somebody would be talking to me about buying my script. Like this person has that power to green light or, or certainly put you at the next level or send you on to other people. And it's very daunting. And a lot of people, if they've never been in that kind of spot, um, they freeze up. You know, they just the thought of how big and important this person is versus, oh, I'm just this lowly writer. And that's one place where my years in the film business have helped um, because I got to meet multiple celebrities over the years. And I, I, I got to talk to them and realize that they, they're just like you and me. I, I met Dick Clark and he was a really professional guy. It was in the 90s and I was doing teleprompter. And this is when teleprompter was still done. We didn't use word processors um, and, and flat screens. This was done with a, a piece of paper on a belt uh, with lights and a camera on it. So you'd have this little wheel control and move the paper faster and slower underneath the camera. And then the, the, the monitor that had to hang off the camera was a big old fashioned CRT type television. So it weighed like 70 pounds. So he had to have a counterbalance on the back side of the camera that was also 70 pounds. He had to have this massive tripod to balance this weight. So I sat wow. down with Dick Clark and uh, it was a promo for a restaurant he'd opened in Indianapolis. And he, he hit 31 seconds. And they said, Dick, you know, it's 31 seconds. He's like, no problem, next time it'll be 30. And the man, he was so good. He banged it out in 30. And he could do, and they'd say, okay, now this time put a little emphasis on this. And he, every time, 30 seconds, 30 seconds, the man was a pro. And coincidentally, I'd worked with one of his sons. I don't know if he had more than one. I worked with a son of his named Rack on the show Candid Camera. There was a remake in the 90s with Dom DeLuise. And so I'd actually met his son. So I had something to talk to him about. I'm like, oh, I just worked with your son Rack down in Nashville. And it was incredible. Here I was chit-chatting with Dick Clark and chit-chatting about his son, who we both knew. And um, and then coincidentally, years later, uh, right before he died, I ended up shooting in his house in Malibu uh, on the beach for a movie called um, Bring It On All or Nothing. We, we shot some sequence in, in this house he owned. So I had the advantage of, of getting to see Hollywood celebrities as just people. And when I initially went to like meetings with directors and producers, I was terrified of them. But eventually, as an art director, I had to be able to 
to talk to them as a normal person. So to get back to your question, I think it is an incredible advantage to, to get to meet these people in person. Um, it's unfortunate that it will have to be via Skype and Zoom. I don't think it's quite the same thing. Uh, on, the, on the flip side, though, when we met them there uh, in Idlewild, the people didn't have to share contact information with you because um, you know, you're meeting in person. And so the ultimate thing was at the end, if they gave you their card or wrote it down, you know, here's my email address, get in touch. Sounds like if everything is virtual that you're going to have some form of contact info or maybe they'll do it anonymously, I don't know. But um, I think it's better to meet in person. So, so that's yes. So I was going to say, what is next? Where are you going next? What, what, what are you currently writing? Okay, um, so this amazing thing happened. I, like everyone on the planet, occasionally goes on YouTube and watches, you know, a cat save a raccoon or whatever. Um, but somehow... You know, this idea came up when we were at UCLA, one of the other guys in the group, and in 2013, I think it was Oklahoma, there was a place called Foss Lake, and some uh, police divers were testing out new sonar gear, and they were amazed to find not one, but two cars beneath them in this little reservoir, and they sent some divers down, and they found bodies in both cars, Unbelievable. and yeah. so they dragged them up. And it turns out one of the cars had gone in in the mid-50s. It was three people in their 40s, 50 years old. They went out to the store and just vanished. Mm -hmm. and the second car was a teenager, and he had just bought a brand-new Camaro. And he had two girls with him, and they said, oh, we're going to go to the football game. And they had disappeared in, like, 1971. Wow. Just astounding. They had this car from the 50s, and they had this Camaro. And they dragged them both up, and they're rusted almost to nothing. And they each have three skeletons in them. So six total bodies were found just by accident this one day. And they were only 12 feet under the water. They were just sitting there 20 feet from the shore for decades. And so I found that fascinating. And, and one of the guys in our group said he was going to write a story about it, but he never did. And then recently, I was, I don't know, I was still interested in that. And then I came across this group... Um, called Adventures with Purpose. They're on YouTube. And these guys, in the space of three years, they were finding iPhones and watches and keys, things like that on beaches and, and, and little ponds. And then one of the things they did is they started clearing out rivers of old junky cars. And one of the old junky cars they pulled up had a body in it. And just like these Foss Lake things, it was someone that had gone out to get a pack of cigarettes in 1960-something, and they just never came home. And wife, family, everyone, they don't know what happened to this person. These guys who were really just kind of like hucksters, you know, finding... They, it's amazing. You can look at their videos from two years ago, and they're like, look, we got six iPhones. <laughs> they found this body, and they started searching for cars. And, and then they started searching for um, cold cases. And since then, they have now cleared, I think, three more missing persons. They have found three more cars with bodies, um, and two of them were people from the last, like, two years. Uh, high yeah. school kids, one had gone to his high school graduation after he went to this party, and then he never came home. And that one, I think, was in Iowa, and his family was just flipping out. They put out this huge reward, and the police had dived this particular quarry twice. They'd used sonar in it twice. 
Um, but the one that really motivated me to write, um, and I can't think of the kid's name off the top of my head, but um, the Adventures with Purpose people got called to this one particular river, and um, a mother had had her son disappear. His, his girlfriend had broken up with him, he was distraught, and then he just disappeared. And the police said, oh, he's probably run off to California or New York or something. He's, you know, he'll be fine. And they wouldn't do much. And so she calls these Adventures with Purpose guys. And they came out and they dived this river where she thought he might be. And they found a car there. And it, in the sonar, it looked about the right size and shape to be this boy's, uh, I think it was a pickup truck, actually. And so they went and they got the cops. Okay. They, you know, we want to go. And they shot this video of the officer arriving and he was the perfect ad guy, but I don't think he was meaning to be. And you could just tell he was, oh, yeah, you know, we looked there, that can't be him. And they said, oh, we wanna, you know, pull the truck out right here, we'll bring the tow truck here. He's like, no, 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 wait a minute, we just re-landscaped this park. You'll have to move all those rocks. That's a, and he said this, he's like, that's a big problem. We can't move those rocks. And so you're watching this and you have a crying mother, you have a diving team that says, hey, we think we found the kid and you have an officer telling them they can't go look because it'll upset the landscaping. And I watched this thing and I thought, that guy is the perfect villain. And this one particular episode of the show, to me, you know, it was a real live thing, and yet it was a perfect part of a TV series, you know, to have a cop that, because you're wondering as you watch it, did he kill the kid? Does he know who killed the kid? Is he getting money? Does he just not want to do the paperwork? Why is this officer, instead of saying, hey, let's solve this case, He's coming up with reasons not to go look. Mm -hmm. That really fired me up. And the fact that these guys went from a bunch of bozos finding phones and cameras and things to solving four cold cases now mm -hmm. um, in the space of two and a half years. They didn't have forensic training. They didn't go to a law enforcement academy. These are just some guys who just recently started diving. They're not diving experts. And yet they have solved for cases and brought closure to these families, brought peace to, you know, I can't even imagine if one of my brothers had just disappeared when I was young and we never knew what happened to him, it'd drive you crazy. Yeah, no, it's, uh, yeah, the families, it's just no closure. It's just this tragic situation that like, yeah, I, 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 I can't imagine. Um, so to me, this is a, it's a, it's fascinating and and you know between the thing that happened at the foss lake with those cars and and part of it to me i think it's a weird fascination with the fact that whatever's inside that car when it hits the water in 1971 or 1985 or 2004 everything in the car has stayed exactly the same you know nothing has gone in or out of it mm -hmm. it's like this little frozen time capsule and i i love that i don't know why it just fascinating. So I started off writing a new story and mine is called Impossible Recoveries. And it's about some young guys. Uh, they're working Venice Beach to help people find their phones and keys and things. And a similar set of circumstances happens. And in fact, one of them gets, one of them goes to investigate this crime or find a body or whatever, find this missing car. And he shows up drowned. And so his buddy has to wonder, was he really that clumsy? Or did something untoward happen here? And so that's the beginning. And so obviously my plan is it's a series based upon sort of what these, these people have done, which to me is so fascinating. But you could also 
pretty easily imagine, like that police officer, right? Like, why was he so against bringing that car up? Officer apparently resigned the day that YouTube video came out. Um, he retired. So, anyhow, it, it's a fascinating. It makes it feel suspicious, yes. About 20 pages in, so it should be about 60 pages, so I'm about a third done. And I actually, I had uh, somebody I work with read it today, and he had many great comments about it. He's excited about it. So I, I think I'm off on the right foot with this new story. Good. How can I learn more about your work? Um, how can I follow so I know when that story comes out? Um, well, I have a Facebook page, and that's where I do most of my internet gapping. Um, I have a, a Twitter, but it's really for the computer business I have, and I haven't... And I'm coming out with um, an, an author page. We've been working on it. It's not done yet. But for now, it's going to have to be Facebook, and it's just my name, David Pirinelli, uh, P-I-R-I-N-E-L-L-I. -L -L -I. I'm pretty easy to find. Um, you know, one nice thing about having a unique name is you're easy to find. If I was John Smith, you'd never find me. But um, anyone named Pirinelli in the United States of America is one of my relatives, and I probably know them. It's a very rare name. So good. Um so let's leave it there. It's been a pleasure talking with you today. And I, I do, I look forward to future stories with you. Best of luck to you and, and your writing ahead. Thank you. And I look forward to hopefully doing some more work with you. All right. Take care. Bye. Bye.